This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, looking forward to this next conversation because if you listen to this program on a regular basis, maybe you know that this is kind of a fascination of mine. Uh, not the little green men flying saucers things so much, but just, you know, the prospect of what other life exists in the universe. And why things seem so quiet, the so-called Fermi Paradox which basically posits that there is an incredible likelihood that the universe is teeming with life, or at least should be. So why does it seem so silent? There's a new book that, that explores all of this, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to, to finding out more about it. Now, joining us on the line is uh, Jim Al-Khalili. He is a British uh, theoretical physicist, an author, a broadcaster. He uh, is at the University of Surrey, and he is uh, the lead author of a new book called Aliens, the World's Leading Scientist on the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. Professor, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hi, well, thank you very much. Glad to be there. All right, well, talk a bit about putting this book together, because you pulled together a lot of uh, experts and some really interesting perspectives. Yeah, so although my name appears on the front cover, I'm, I'm the editor of the book. So essentially, I wanted to gather together people from all areas of science to, to address this question. I mean, 10 years ago, this book would have been uh, probably impossible because it, the search for, for, for life elsewhere was probably not deemed a respectable topic for science. But now things are changing rapidly. Uh, it's being treated seriously. And so I've, I've got together people from, from the, the UK and from, from, from the US covering chemistry, biology, astronomy, even psychology, to try and address why so many people think flying saucers have actually visited us, <laughs> but to see what the chances are, really, of life outside beyond Earth. Right. Well, and I mean, some people do take this very seriously. You have an essay from uh, Seth uh, Shostak at the SETI Institute. We've had him on our, our program many times. And, I mean, there is a, a serious scientific effort to answer some of these questions. What, why has it not been taken seriously up until recently? I think it's because it's, it's really hard to, to know whether, you know, we, the people like Seth Shostak and the SETI Institute have been listening out for signals from space. But essentially what they're waiting to hear is some message from an intelligent alien civilization. Most scientists would be very happy just to know whether or not we are alone as a life form here on Earth in the universe. So even discovering microbial life, single cell life somewhere, would be exciting enough. And we're now getting to the point where we really think we can find out one way or the other and answer that question. Well, we've had a lot of exciting discoveries as of late, uh, and our ability to detect uh, planets in the so-called Goldilocks zone, habitable planets. I mean, that, that's a big step forward, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and that's something that has changed in the last decade or so. You know, 10, 10 15 years ago, that would have seemed a, a very uh, remote possibility that we'd be able to not only detect the presence of planets orbiting other star systems beyond our own, but to a, be able to say whether they are Earth-like, as you say, whether they're in the Goldilocks zone, whether they have the right temperature to, to uh, have liquid water on the surface or under the surface. And now we're even getting to the point where we can figure out whether they have an atmosphere and actually analyze the chemistry of that atmosphere to look for signatures of life. Mm -hmm. And that's all very, very new science. Because that's, that's the question. I mean, even if the universe is teeming with life, like if you, if you take humans out of the equation, Earth is still a pretty interesting planet. If the universe is teeming with that kind of life, we, we may never know. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is the universe is big. 
I mean, and that's the sort of the, the glib answer to the Fermi paradox, where is everyone? Well, they may be out there, but we may never know of their presence because the universe is so vast. So it's one thing to listen out for signals from space, but those signals may have been traveling uh, uh, across the universe for, for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. Um, and so there's really no chance that we can then respond or, or make contact with, with any alien life. But what we are now able to do is at least detect the signatures of life. We may not see life directly, but we may find evidence that life exists somewhere on some uh, extrasolar planet just by analyzing the chemistry in the light that we receive from that system. Right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because as advanced as we are, as much as we've accomplished in terms of being able to conduct a search like this at all, are we still limited by our own knowledge and our own concept of, of what life is or how that life might, might communicate? Yes, I mean, I mean uh, yes, I mean, as, uh, as, as you know, Hollywood has really sort of uh, made an industry out of this, that alien life forms seem to be, have, have been made in our own image, They're, you know, the little green men, uh, head, two arms, two legs. Scientists are trying to see, you know, how imaginative can we be? So, so the first thing to do is to say, well, what are the building blocks of life? What are the ingredients? What are the, the boxes that need to be ticked? We know for there to be any sort of biological life, there has to be... Uh, an energy source now so the planet needs to be either at the right distance from its star for its surface to be warm enough or has its own internal heat system to, to maybe keep water in, in in liquid state under under ice um there needs to be water there needs to be organic molecules uh we think however imaginative we try to be we still um are confident that life would be carbon-based and that's, that's simply because the, the element carbon is special and it has the ability to hold together and bond together all sorts of other atoms because the, the other thing we need for life is complexity. Life may not be DNA-based like it is here on Earth, but it has to have enough complex structure in order to uh, store information because it needs that information to make copies of itself. So, so we think we're beginning to understand what are the minimum requirements for life even if our imagination hasn't been opened up enough to, to, to accept the possibilities of life way beyond anything we, we, we find here on Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, the Fermi Paradox raises some, some interesting and even disturbing questions uh, about what might explain the silence. I mean, if, if we're alone, that's really strange uh, and no easy answer to that. But then, of course, there's the, the point that maybe societies get to a certain point uh, and then, then it's curtains for them, and that maybe we're on the wrong side of, of that line. Yes, I mean, that, that's the other thing we have to consider. You know, if we think that uh, um, humanity has been around for tens of thousands of years here on Earth, that's the blink of an eye on, on the cosmic scale. Life may have evolved somewhere else within our, our galaxy billions of years ago. Uh, and, and it may well be that, you know, life, if it follows Darwinian evolution, which we, we have a, that's such a good idea, we think it would happen anywhere, um, then it could have evolved and, 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 you know, gone extinct. Or it may be that it has developed artificial intelligence, but it may be that we're, we're looking or listening out into space in the wrong epoch. You know, we've just missed the boat. Life has come and gone elsewhere. Uh, so not only are we looking pointing our telescopes at one particular patch of sky at a time, we're also only sampling and waiting for a signal from space 
in the blink of an eye on, 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 on the, you know, when, you, when you consider the age of the universe of 13.8 billion years. This is kind of a philosophical question, but what kind of an impact do you think it would have on society if tomorrow we confirmed or if tomorrow we got a message from, from somewhere in the cosmos saying, hi, we're here, you know, we've been uh, watching you guys for a while. How, how would people react? Uh, I think, well, it, ruling out this, the possibility that some alien civilization is going to come and invade Earth, which is pretty unlikely, just hearing a signal, I think it would be uh, utterly profound. Um, it will be the greatest discovery we will have ever made. Even discovering simple microbial life, say under one of the moons of Saturn or, or uh, under the surface of one of the moons of Saturn or Jupiter, which is, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a possibility that we might find that simple life forms there. Um, that in itself, I think, will be profound enough because for me it'll be the equivalent of Copernicus and Galileo discovering that the Earth isn't at the center of the universe, that the Earth is just another planet orbiting the sun and not the other way around. That sort of knocked us off the pedestal. It, we realized we weren't as special as we thought we were. I think finding life elsewhere would have a similar, if not greater, impact. I don't think we'll, you know, world religions will all sort of crumble. I think we'll, 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 we'll adjust to it. But the positive aspect of it is I think it might make us appreciate our own world, our little blue dot, as Carl Sagan referred to it, um, and, and, and uh, m maybe think of it as more precious, given yeah. that uh, you know, there, there are other worlds out there as well as ours. Right. As you say, I mean, there, there are ways in which... Um there are ways in which we can find out to answer this question, and, and maybe it comes in a really dramatic way that, that we can't envision, but in all likelihood, it's going to be an incremental steps, and maybe we'll get that initial confirmation at some point, some kind of signal, or be able to detect something on, on one of these planets we've been watching, but in terms of following up on that, we're talking about years and years and years waiting for another signal or waiting for our signal to reach them or somehow building something that could travel to one of these planets. So how much can we expect to learn in our lifetime? Well, I think the most likely scenario, if we do find evidence of life elsewhere, it's likely to be much closer to home. So it may be that we find evidence that there was life on Mars billions of years ago. We're pretty confident there's no life on Mars today. It's a dead planet. It doesn't have an atmosphere. It doesn't have a magnetic field that can protect it from the bombardment of cosmic rays. Um, but it, but it, Mars was a much more um, hospitable place billions of years ago, and it may well have had um, harbored life. So, you know, we're still hopeful that we might see fossilized evidence of some simple life forms under the surface of Mars. And I think even more exciting, there may be the possibility that life still exists under one of the moons of Saturn or Jupiter. So there's the, the, a small moon of Saturn, Enceladus, which um, the Cassini mission to Saturn recently discovered had an atmosphere, had liquid water under the surface of, of the ice, and that, that liquid water had complex organic compounds. So, again, it had all the ingredients possible for life. So I think if we are going to discover life, it's much more likely um, in some, to, be, to find it as some simple life form under the ice of, say, the moon Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter, or Enceladus or going around Saturn. Um, you're right. We may have to wait too long if we're, if we're waiting for some intelligent message from some alien civilization. And if we do we're not likely to be able to answer back because it would take too long for the message to go, to go back to its origin. How reachable are some of these planets, maybe not by actual human travelers, but to, to build something where we could 
take images, send a message directly. Uh, the Starshot project, for example, this kind of technology, is, is that feasible? The Starshot project is very exciting. So this is the idea of sending these tiny, tiny um, spacecraft to our nearest neighbor star, Proxima Centura. The hope is that this project, you know, these um, um, spacecraft could be launched 20 years from now. The idea is they will travel at 20% the speed of light. Now, our nearest neighbor star is four light years away, which means it takes light four years to get there or to reach us from there. So if you're traveling at 20% the speed of light, that means 20 years to get there. Then if they can take images of that star system and the planets going around the star, sending it back will take another four years. So if you, add, you do the math, it's 20 years before we, we launch them, another 20 years before they get there, another four years to receive the signal back. So... I'm sort of, I'm, I'm 54. I, I would be 98 <laughs> by the time I get a message. So I'm sort of hopeful that I can ha- hang in there and maybe get, have some direct evidence of life around our nearest neighbor star. It's, it's, it is feasible, but, you know, yeah. a lot of these ideas are, are, are still long shots. That's true. Um, now, does the book address the, the question of whether we should do this at all? Because some have warned, some prominent uh, scientists have warned that maybe this is a bad idea, that maybe we don't want to know what's out there. Maybe it's going to end badly for us. Um, well, certainly, the, the, it's a very eclectic mix that I've collected together, um, 19 other scientists to write their essays in this book. And one or two of them are more on the pessimistic side, saying either that it's not a good idea or that it's very unlikely that we'll find life elsewhere um a biologist matthew cobb for example argues that life on earth was so improbable that you know we are so lucky lucky we're the lottery ticket winners in the universe that it's highly unlikely that it would have um, um life would have emerged elsewhere certainly anywhere that we would ever be able to to make contact with so uh, Yes, not everyone agrees that it's a good idea. I don't think many scientists would argue that it's a bad idea because aliens, if we, if we announce our presence to the universe, aliens will want to come and, uh, and, and invade Earth like they do in the movies. Um, they, you know, we wouldn't make good food for them because chances are they, uh, uh, they wouldn't be able to metabolize us. They wouldn't be able to mate with us because, you know, you can't even have different species mating here on Earth, let alone aliens <laughs> mating with us. So, and, and why would they come to Earth? You know, unless they're such an advanced civilization that they see us as some sort of experiment, in which case you'd hope they'd be benign and, and, and kind to us. But I think those sorts of arguments are still very much in the realm of science fiction. Uh, looking for evidence of life elsewhere doesn't extend to the, the, the possibility that we are actually going to be invaded by intelligent aliens. Well, some interesting, fascinating questions around all of this, uh, that's for sure. The book is called Aliens, the World's Leading Scientist on the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. Professor Al-Khalili, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you. Much appreciated. That is uh, Jim Khalili. Uh, he's uh, based at the University of Surrey in the UK, where he's a, a theoretical physicist. Uh, he's an author, broadcaster as well. And he is the editor, as mentioned, editor of this book, which is simply called Aliens with the longer subtitle, The World's Leading Scientist on the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. So there are 19, rather, different essays from all kinds of different scientists uh, about this fascinating question. Are we alone in the universe, and how can that possibly be? And if there is life out there, uh, where is it? Why haven't we found it? Or are we on the verge of founding it? Uh, finding it, rather. There's, uh, you know, one, by one estimate, 
There are one billion Earth-like exoplanets in just the Milky Way galaxy alone. And there are many billions upon billions upon billions of galaxies in the universe. So that's pretty mind-boggling. There's a quote from Stephen Hawking. It says, to my mathematical brain, the numbers alone make thinking about aliens perfectly rational. Right, so there is that element that's in the realm of science fiction, I think. You know, the flying saucers and the alien probes and uh, all of that kind of stuff. But the question of life elsewhere in the universe, I mean, it is a fascinating question. And people have been pondering it for a very long time. Certainly the Fermi paradox uh, has been around for many decades. That the probability of life elsewhere in the universe is so high, yet the universe to us seems so incredibly silent. 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.